Hello, this is Cleo Pascal. Welcome to Chatham House's Strategic Perspectives on the Indo-Pacific podcast. In this series, we're talking about how different strategic communities in different countries look at what's going on in the Indo-Pacific. It's the 17th of October, 2019, and this episode, we're in Paris. We're at the Institut Français des Relations Internationales, one of France's top international affairs think tanks. We were very lucky to have them as our partner, and with their help, we just held a brainstorming roundtable with French strategic and policy experts on what they think might happen in the Indo-Pacific out to 2024. We're going to get a bit of a taste of it now because we're happy to have with us Dr. Françoise Nicolas, who's director of the Asia Centre here at IFRI. She'll give us some insight into the French perspective on the Indo-Pacific. So please settle in as we head off to the Indo-Pacific via Paris. So, Françoise Nicolas, I'm the director of the Centre for Asian Studies at the French Institute of International Relations. The French Institute, uh, IFRI, is the equivalent to Chatham House, if there is such a thing. So, we are a private think tank and we deal with international relations broadly defined, which means that, among other things, we, of course, deal with Asia. And so, that's the part of the Institute that I'm heading. And Asia means for us East Asia and South Asia. So Northeast Asia, Southeast Asia, South Asia, as well as a little bit of Australia and New Zealand, which is why the Indo-Pacific falls within our scope. So I I think many people don't realize how big a part of France is actually in the Indo-Pacific. Yeah, I guess this is one of the reasons why there is so much interest in France in the Indo-Pacific. Actually, there is a large part of the French territory which is in this part of the world. We have a little bit of, well, small islands in the Indian Ocean. We have islands in the South Pacific. All of our territories are basically south of the equator, except for the Clipperton Island. But altogether, we have 1.5 million citizens, I think, in this part of the world. Plus, we have expatriates, and we also have businesses, of course, business interests. And that explains why there is so much interest in this part of the world, in, in France and in French diplomacy. I heard that actually France has the second largest exclusive economic zone in the world. It is, yeah, it, it has. And 90% of this EEZ is precisely in the Indo-Pacific, which also explains why there is this big interest. So could you describe some of the actions France has been taking administratively and otherwise to engage with the Indo-Pacific? Well, the, the major point is that we have to defend our interests there. Since we have so many people there, we have to defend them and defend our business interests in the, in the region as well. So as a result, well, there is French presence there, administrative presence, as well as military presence, of course. And what, what France is fighting for is freedom of navigation, first and foremost. Well, we deal a lot with these regions, but we also make trade anyway in this part of the world. And for this, we need freedom of navigation. So this is one major part or major form of intervention in this, uh, in this big zone. That is, uh, yeah, the military presence and freedom of navigation operations, even though they are not called exactly like this because they are slightly different nature compared to the U.S. phonops, as they are called. And can you describe a lot of the framing of the Indo-Pacific has been challenged by this kind of this question of the West and China and how, how we fit into it? And Well, the interesting part is that France has been active in this region for a long time. So the Indo-Pacific strategy, broadly defined, is nothing new. France has been active um, 
well, ever since the number of this territory is fell into uh, France's territory. So we've been active there for a long time, but the time when we finally decided to call that an Indo-Pacific strategy is very recent. And the reason why we decided to engage in this strategy has a lot to do with China. To be honest, we have to admit that uh, the rise of China in this part of the world is the reason why we, I guess, felt that we had to define a strategy. China is more assertive, more present, more active in this region, and we perceive that we, France, perceive this as a threat. And so uh, France thought that it had to define a strategy to perhaps not contain China, but at least to give a response to this Chinese presence. Of course, officially, the strategy is not about containing China at all. In this respect, it, it differs quite substantially from the US approach. It is, I guess, closer to the Australian approach, perhaps, or the Indian approach, for, for sure, which also seeks to be inclusive. So the same thing in the case of France. But this is really the time when we decided to have this Indo-Pacific strategy, even though the, the substance of it actually has been around for a long time. And it's, a, it's an official strategy, right? Nowadays, it's an official strategy. And there are two papers, actually, or two documents, which, which have been published, one by the Ministry of Defense or Ministry of Armed Forces, to, be, to use the uh, appropriate name, and the other one by the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs. So the, we have these two documents explaining what the strategy is all about. I'm not too sure that the documents are all that clear. <laughs> it is, at, the, at this stage, a very well, fuzzy or a blurred strategy. It's not very clear. But the point is just to show that we have interests that we want to defend in this region. And the way that France wants to defend its interests goes, of course, through military operations, but it also goes through other operations. And what is really very heavily stressed, in particular in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs document, are the other things that uh, France can do in this region. And these other things is defend a number of principles. You know, French diplomacy is a principled diplomacy, if we can say so. And we, we are always trying to defend freedom, democracy, but we are also interested in other issues these days, and in particular climate change, for instance. So fight against climate change is very high on the agenda of this Indo-Pacific strategy. Similarly, we are also quite interested in uh, fighting against uh, terrorism, because the, the Indo-Pacific area is also a place where there, there are a number of terrorist threats. So we think it's an important topic also to address in this, in this part of the world. So the, the strategy is very, very broad, uh, which makes it, uh, I guess, a little bit fuzzy and unclear to a number of people. But it, it, it seeks to be comprehensive. What I would like to stress is that the French Indo-Pacific strategy is not exclusively about a military approach. Of course, it's a big part of it, but it's not only a military approach. It's also economic cooperation. It's also diplomatic cooperation. So it is much more broadly defined than a number of people think. And I guess that these two other parts, on top of security or military things, these two other parts make the strategy perhaps more credible. Because otherwise, you know, France can be very quickly criticized for not having the, the means, not having the, the ability to actually project its power. And it's true that we have limited means. We also have other priorities. So it's not necessarily very easy for France you know, to, to match uh, the, its, its ambitions with, uh, with limited means. 
But if you uh, broaden the, uh, the strategy to other uh, areas, to other uh, issues, then I think that the French strategy can be made m much more credible and much more relevant to a large extent. Looking forward to 2024, what would be a good outcome in the Indo-Pacific for France? Well, 2024 is like tomorrow. <laughs> it's quite, quite close. Well, I guess an interesting outcome would have to would be to have uh, more substantial partnerships with a number of our partners. Again, we've had these partnerships for a long time. This is not, not, nothing really new, and this, these partnerships are not uh, really the results of the Indo-Pacific strategy. I mean, they predate the official uh, Indo-Pacific strategy. But uh, I guess if you want to talk in terms of uh, outcomes, deliverables, then uh, the strengthening of this already existing partnership would be uh, an interesting outcome. And what would be the French Indo-Pacific nightmare in 2024? Oh, the nightmare would be that uh, China is all over the place. It is already all over the place, but it is more assertive and that a number of the, uh, the countries in the region have really decided to side with China against the, the other you know, powers in the, in the region, the US, but not only the US, Australia, etc., etc. So I guess the nightmare would be to have a Chinese Indo-Pacific area. What can France do to help nudge in a more positive direction? Well, again, I guess the only thing that France can do is really engage in very uh, well-structured partnerships. France on its own cannot do much. So it has to partner with uh, you know, like-minded countries, as they are often called. And like-minded countries mean to, well, Australia, Japan, to some extent India, but we start having doubts about the, <laughs> the depth of the like-mindedness with, with uh, India these days. You know, there are uh, tendencies in India that can be perceived today towards less, uh, perhaps, democratic uh, behavior and less uh, openness and so we may have some doubts but India for the time being still remain a very good partner. And that was the strategic perspective of the Indo-Pacific from Paris. Next we'll have the strategic perspective of the Indo-Pacific from India. I'm Cleo Pascal. Thanks for listening.